0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. My name is Todd. I am the youth director here, and uh, like everyone has shared, man, we just want to say Happy Memorial Day weekend. We're glad that you're joining us, and we're so thankful for the military men and women who have given their lives to protect this country. We are thinking and we are praying about you as you're celebrating with family, but um, also maybe remembering the sacrifice of some and the sacrifice that models the sacrificial love of our Savior. And so we're glad that you're here. With us. And church, I'm so humbled, I'm so thankful uh, to be here to share God's word with you. I'm excited because we're continuing our series, A Fight Worth Fighting. And we're going to be spending our time in 2 Timothy 2 14 to 26. And here, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to Timothy. He's a young leader that's growing up in pastoral ministry in the church of Ephesus. And this letter is an encouragement to him in that specific context however of course just because it was written to timothy a young aspiring pastor that doesn't mean that we can't gain something from these chapters from this letter that paul has written as believers and paul in these previous verses he just got done encouraging timothy telling him hey you need to endure for the gospel that ministry can be hard and we suffer for the good news of jesus And now in verses 14 to 26 he brings up a big question to Timothy and I think it's a question that we all face. I think it's something that is very applicable to all of us today and that's how do we respond to opposition? How should we do that? How do we respond to false teaching both outside and inside the church? How do we respond to those that don't agree with us? And so in order to do this and to answer this, uh, let's first go to God, and let's ask him to teach us this morning. Will you pray with me, church? Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. Lord, I thank you for every single person here, every single person watching online. Lord, it is by no accident, but you brought them here for a purpose, God, to hear your word. And so Lord, will you prepare our hearts God, will you open our ears to hear your truth and that that would be what is remembered today? Father, I don't know exactly what week everyone is coming from. It could have been the best week, a really good week, or it could have been the worst week. It could have been really hard. And so, Lord, you know what everyone is going through. And so, Lord, we pray that you would meet us where we are at. God, we need you. We love you. We commit this time to you now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was in middle school, when I was in high school, in college, so throughout my whole educational career, whenever I would take tests, there was always one question I didn't like to see. I really didn't like to see this one question, true or false. And it might seem easy, right? There's a 50% chance. Those are really good odds. It's either true or false. And the challenge wasn't the amount of answers to choose from. No, the challenge was determining whether that statement was 100% true. Because it could be 90% true, but that 10% would make it false. And so for me, it was a struggle on how to deal with those questions, distinguishing what is true. And so Paul in this letter, he's encouraging Timothy to respond to teaching that might sound true, to some, but is ultimately false. And that's what was happening in the church. There was clear opposition in the gospel. And so how was Timothy supposed to respond to this opposition? Well, let's read it together, church. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna open it to 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 to 15. If not, no worries, we'll have it up on the screen. Uh, But let's read it together. It says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. You can underline that. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, you can also underline that. Rightly handling the word of truth. So in the face of opposition of this false teaching, Timothy was to stand as an approved worker, not an ashamed worker. And that's our hope for all of us today, that we would be approved workers before the Lord. And so that big question, how do we respond to opposition? You can write this down as your takeaway truth. This is a truth that helps us to remember what God teaches us today. We can be approved or we can be ashamed workers. There's two choices. We can either be approved or we can be ashamed And so let's dive a little bit deeper on what it means to be an approved worker for the Lord. And so at the end of verse 15, it says that an approved worker rightly handles the word of truth. And the Greek term used for this verse is orthotamanta, which means to cut straight. It means to guide along a straight path, orthotamanta. And, you know, upon hearing this term, it automatically makes me think, orthotamanta. it makes me think about ortho- Dentist, just like this next slide orthodontists that can take crooked jagged teeth and make a smile so straight so much more perfect if you're an orthodontist uh, you're awesome you have skill you have precision it also makes me think about farmers which i believe closely relates to what paul was mentioning here in this passage and how they can possibly make their crops so straight how they plow it so straight Right, you see it at places like Tanaka Farms that I know some of you have been to. Or when you're driving on the freeway and you see those crops, Like, how do they make it so straight? How is that even possible? And for us, we are called to be workers for Christ that cut straight the word of God. Believers that handle it correctly, interpreting it and teaching it, that would receive God's nod of approval if he was here standing and watching and listening, saying, yes, yes, amen, preach, that's exactly what I meant by that. And so why is it important to be an approved worker that rightly handles the word of truth? Well, you know, this week as I was thinking about that question, I couldn't help but think about my old part-time job at Golfsmith, so I used to sell golf clubs, I used to sell golf equipment, and I remember one day specifically, when a customer came in, and he was asking for help to look for a golf club, so I was helping him to choose between that club or this club, doing my best as a worker to give him all the details. Like, what shaft should you consider? Well, what is your ball speed? What are you looking for in this club? And then we got a club for him all the way to the point where I took him to a hitting bay. And if you've never stepped foot in a golf store before, it's okay, I understand. But here's what a hitting bay looks like. So when we took the customer there, he set up, he would hit the ball into the projector screen, and that little machine on the mat, it would actually trace his shot to show what would realistically happen on the course. And so after a couple of swings, he looks back at me, and he says, here, you try. I wanna see you swing this club. And I was so shocked because I was pretty new, so I didn't even know if that was allowed, if that was okay to do. And I was really, really nervous. And if you're an avid golfer here, you will understand why. Because I was going through a, a season of struggle in my golf game. I was dealing with something called the shanks. Oh, I know, exactly. And if you don't know what that is, basically when you're hitting a golf ball, I wasn't hitting it in the center, that's the sweet spot. I was hitting it closer to the end where the shaft meets the club head. That's one of the worst places you can hit a golf ball. And so of course, as I heard that, I went to the hitting bay, I set up, I prayed. (laughs) I took a big back swing, I swung, and it went right No, it just went right. It barely came off the ground. It was one of the worst shots I've ever hit in my whole entire life. It was so bad that the machine didn't even pick it up (laughs) to trace my shot. That's how bad of a shot it was. I was so embarrassed. And I remember looking back to see the customer just walking away, shaking his head in disapproval. Why? Because I couldn't rightly handle that club. Even though it was a true fit for him, I was the one that mishandled that club. And the same is true for God's word. God's word is true, but church, we have to be careful that we don't mishandle it. And you know, Paul, in these next verses, he gives an example of two men that do exactly that. They mishandle the word of truth. Take a look with me. 2 Timothy 2, 16 to 19 it says, "But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, And their talk will spread like gangrene." Among them, these are the two men, are Hymeneus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And so here were the two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who claimed to be true Christian teachers, but they were spreading a false teaching. They were saying that the resurrection had already happened. And I want to clarify that point This is not referring to Jesus' physical resurrection after he took our place on the cross. That's not what it's referring to. They were referring to our physical resurrection as believers, our life after death in our glorified bodies. They were saying that's not going to happen, even though that's not true. Commentaries state that Greek philosophy during that time, which is what they were teaching, saw the soul as immortal and the body as a temporary prison. Therefore, a physical resurrection of the body was unnecessary, even though that wasn't true. This goes directly against what scripture says. Take a look with me. 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve to 13. It says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So this passage, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and in this letter it directly speaks against the things that Hymenaeus and Philetus were falsely teaching. Paul, he was actually reassuring believers that because of Jesus' physical resurrection from the grave, that proves our resurrection as believers in our new glorified bodies that are to come with no more pain, with no more sickness, with no more sin. Our resurrected bodies that are gonna be suited for eternity spent with our Lord. And so these two men and their false teaching, it was spreading like gangrene. And gangrene was a medical condition that would go throughout the body, infect the body and poison it. And the only way to stop it was through amputation was through cutting off the infected area. And so Hymenaeus and Philetus, they were swerving. They were going left, they were going right from the truth. They were not cutting straight the word of God which led them to be cutting off from the church. And this Greek philosophy was popular to the culture at that time, so it was hard for believers to go against what culture believed. And church, I think that we can all agree that that sounds very familiar to today. People swerving from the truth because it does not align with popular cultural beliefs. And we see it. We see it in pop culture, we see it in businesses, on social media, TikTok reels that claim real truth but are bending to popular belief instead of abiding to the word of God. And we hear teaching, when we hear it, are we just basing it on what feels right? Are we just basing it on what sounds true instead of testing it to the sound teaching of the word ourselves? And I get it, some of you might be thinking, well, didn't you hear what Pastor Greg shared last week? He said, when we desire to live a godly life, it may lead to persecution, ranging from our lives being threatened because of our faith to even social cancellation, to physical and verbal abuse, legal lawsuits, especially when it comes to things that we believe, our belief about gender, about LGBTQ, about abortion, about most social issues, when we take a stance that is firm in the truth that we see in God's word, there will be opposition. I guarantee you. And so that brings up our big question again. How do we respond to opposition that we face? Do we respond as ashamed workers of Christ that bend because of fear of persecution, that bend because we don't want to be canceled, ashamed of the truth that we believe in, or are we going to respond as approved? Approved workers of Christ who are more afraid of confronting God face to face when we take our last breath and having to explain why we swerve from the truth. And church, I wanna reassure you, especially if you're a guest today, if you're visiting us for the first time, we're so glad that you're here, or if you're watching us online for the very first time and now you're part of our church family, I wanna reassure you that we want to do our best here to be approved, to cut straight the word of God and to be aligned with the truth that we see in Scripture. If you're looking for a church that changes based on popular cultural beliefs, you will not find that here at SBCC. Because as much as we do value staying relevant, we do value keeping up with the times that will not be at the expense of doctrine and that will not be at the price of truth. We want to do our best to rightly handle the word of God. And you know, there have been moments I really appreciate from how the other times I've preached, there have been moments when some of you have come up to me um, privately and graciously, and that is so important, so thank you so much. Um, And you've let me know, hey, Todd, you you accidentally put the wrong verse number on one of your slides. Or, hey, can you give me a little bit more clarity on that certain point? Or or how I said something, It, it didn't sound really Good, or I appreciate that so much because you're checking it for yourself. You're reading the word for yourself and you're keeping us accountable as we do our best to correctly handle the word of God. And so please, I ask that you would please continue to keep us accountable. And you know, our hope is that if you call this place home, that we would be able to do this together. We'd be sharpening one another, building each other up as brothers and sisters in Christ, which is what Paul was doing for Timothy. And we see this in 2 Timothy two twenty to 21. Paul, he brings up an illustration of a great home. Take a look. It says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy useful to the master of the house ready for every good work and i love this illustration that paul is using here on how vessels or in other words objects instruments how they are useful for the lord's work or they can be useless for the lord's work and so how do we respond to opposition well let me give you a second takeaway we can be useful or useless vessels, two choices. We can either be useful vessels for the Lord or we can be useless vessels. And when we think about useful vessels, these objects or instruments in these households, these are things of value, things that we cherish, like those nice dishes or plates. Things like the vessels of gold and silver, Paul mentioned, that are used honorably for the Lord the head of the house back then, they would display their costliest and most beautiful vessels. And it would bring them honor. It would bring honor to the host. And so maybe for you, you might be thinking in your home of that nice seasoned cast iron skillet. Ooh, that is honorable. Or maybe for you, it's that espresso machine that you show every single guest that comes over. Those of honorable use And in God's house, that is like the true teachers of his word. Believers that don't just say they're hearing things, that aren't just hearers but are doers of the word. Followers that bring honor to our master, honor to God. And Paul, he of course, also mentions those of dishonorable use. Like the false teachers Hymenaeus and Philetus, who were spreading teaching that swerved from the truth People that claim to say the right things but live in all the wrong ways. And it makes me think about this one vessel, this one container that's in all of our homes. We would not put this by the front door. We would not put this vessel on our dining room table. I guarantee you that we wouldn't put it on our kitchen counter to display. What am I talking about? This vessel, a trash can. It's not the most glamorous object, of course, And it can be an eyesore for some of us. Some of you have still not found the best place to put it in your home. But what happens when a trash can fills up with garbage? And I mean it like stacks to where you can't even close the lid anymore. And it just sits there. What happens is it becomes pretty useless. Why? Because it's full of trash. It needs to be emptied. Because it needs to be cleaned in order to be useful. And church, I've struggled with this before, and maybe you came here today and you find yourself at this point feeling like there's trash, like there is certain sin that you've been letting sit, that has been collecting, and because of that, you cannot be a very useful vessel. You feel like I'm more like the dishonorable vessels that Paul mentions Like the false teachers, like the hypocrites. People who say they follow God, but their lives speak otherwise. And maybe for you today, you might think it's that hidden sin that no one else is going to find out. I'll be sure of that. I'm going to keep it hidden. Thinking, yeah, that sin, that struggle, that addiction. But church, just like when we let trash sit for too long, what happens? It starts to smell, it starts to attract things that we do not want in our house. It becomes unsightly in the household. Sin can get in our way of being useful for the Lord and being of honorable use for the master of our house. And let me remind you of what Paul says in verse 21. 2 Timothy 2, 21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself From what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful, to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so unfortunately, in the Lord's house, there are people who are useful, honorable, the ones that the Lord goes to when he needs a good vessel, and yet there are dishonorable people who willfully share false teachings. There are people who come maybe on church Sundays but live like the rest of the world, Monday through Saturday. Dishonorable vessels who turn others away from truth. Those who don't cut straight, those who lead others to swerve from their faith. And so Paul here, he's encouraging Timothy again to separate from those people. Those false teachers, those hypocrites, people who say They are believers, but do not live like it, especially those in the same household as him. Those that were influencing other believers and really upsetting the faith of some. Just like with this medical analogy that Paul uses with gangrene, you have to separate, you have to be set apart as holy. You know, I remember Pastor Greg mentioning this in one of his messages before. He said, This isn't division. This isn't talking about division. It doesn't mean we treat them like garbage. This is decision. We choose not to let their aroma stink up our lives. So in other words, we have to be mindful of who is influencing us both outside and inside the church. That's what Paul is saying here. We have to be careful because we know scripture tells us that bad company can corrupt good character. Sometimes we need to separate and distance ourselves from those that influence us and cause us to become more dishonorable in the house of the Lord. And so Paul was charging Timothy to do this, which is also something that applies to us today, so that we can be useful, ready for every good work. And Paul, he finishes this passage by exploring what are the practical ways in which we can do this, in which we can cleanse ourselves. Take a look with me, 2 Timothy 2, 22 to 26. It says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be, you can underline this, quarrelsome, but kind. To everyone able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so with the reality that there are false teachers outside and inside some churches, that there are people living as dishonorable vessels, that there are brothers or sisters that we don't see eye to eye with, how do we respond to opposition? Well, Paul's final encouragement is this, this takeaway. We can be kind or we can be quarrelsome servants. Two choices. We can either be kind or we can be quarrelsome servants. And you know, I like how verse 22, it starts by saying, flee youthful passions. I used to always go back to this verse and think about it and link it to meaning, flee youthful passions. Hey, we need to stay sexually pure. We need to flee from lust. And that is a biblical truth, however, in this context, Paul is actually referring to how Timothy is supposed to respond in the face of opposition. And you know, when it comes to handling and responding to opposition, it makes me think about how when I was five years old, that's when everything changed. When I was five years old, my family went from the blissful, joyful party of three to what was a surprise to me, a party of four when my sister was born. And don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong, I love my sister so much, she's so amazing, I'm so proud of her and who she is and who God is growing her to be. But that wasn't always the case. And I can clearly remember the times we used to fight as kids, these childish arguments. One of those things being, hey, what do we watch on TV for dinner? Because we only had one TV. And so of course my sister, she'd be like, I wanna watch Hannah Montana. And I'd be like, no. I want to watch the LA Clippers lose for the third time this week. Like, no, I want to watch basketball. And so how would I respond to this opposition? I used to do things like I would pinch her and take the remote and run away because I was taller and faster and run around the table. I would react in childish, youthful ways, like pinching, like teasing, like yelling, screaming, throwing a fit, and I'm sure my parents at that time they would have loved for us to respond maybe like this, sister, it seems we have come to a disagreement. Maybe you should go to your room, I will go to my separate room, we will think about why we are upset, recollect ourselves and then come back for a conversation. That would have made my parents' lives way easier. Did we ever do that though? No, not once, not ever, why? Because we were kids. Because that's how we acted, in childish ways. And so here, Paul is telling Timothy, hey, flee youthful passions. Don't act childish when you face opposition. That's what he's telling him here. And this might sound obvious, this might sound silly, even to some of you, but I really think that there might be some of us here today that came to church this morning, whether you're a student, whether you're a young adult, whether you're in your 50s or 70s, whatever it may be, we all know it is easy to respond with our youthful passions, especially to those that we don't agree with, especially to those that oppose us. And you might be sitting here today after having a childish argument this past week with someone in your ministry, could have been someone in your life group, Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it was with family or with a certain friend. And there are things that we need to flee from. And instead, what do we need to do? We need to pursue other things. When we flee from something, we aren't just running aimlessly to another direction. No, we flee in order to pursue something else. And 2 Timothy tells us what that is. It says to pursue righteousness, faith, Love and peace, having nothing to do with foolish controversies or endless disputes, or in other words, meaningless arguments that end us distracting us from what God really wants us to focus on. And the Lord's servant should be kind, not quarrelsome to everyone. And maybe for you, that means taking a break from social media because you find yourself arguing in the comment section Just arguing and arguing. And it almost is becoming a toxic environment because of the responses that you're seeing. So you feel like you need to respond even more aggressively. Maybe for you, you know that you get easily angered at times. And I've been there. I know that I've had many different little arguments with my friends about pretty meaningless things like movie opinions. Arguing, debating so passionately trying to get them to understand that they're wrong and I'm right that they're wasting their time, so they need just to come on our side. They need to come over here. And if I just argue passionately enough, they will change their heart and they'll come to this side. But church, if we're honest with ourselves, that never really happens, right, if at all. Arguing to the point where it's like fighting fire with fire, but when we fight fire with fire, all we do is get a really big fire and no one wins. Bridges are burned. Relationships are hurt, sometimes even broken, all because of an argument that got way too heated. And so what does Paul continue to encourage Timothy to do about this? Well, he says in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 25, we must be not quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach which means that we are all consistently in God's word, learning more, testing what we hear from others, not just accepting it because it sounds right, but testing it to the lens of scripture. It says patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God's work often takes time, and it's not always on our timing. It's on his perfect timing. And so we need to patiently endure and be gentle when we correct opposition or face opposition. And that is done in our tone, that is done in our posture, and that is also done in our prayers. And church, these uh, last verses, it really got me. This past week when I was preparing uh, what God wanted me to share with all of you, this thought came up for me. Since 2 Timothy, it's all about opposition. It's all about false teaching. And so this thought, this question came up to me. Why would I be kind to people that aren't kind to my God? Why should I be kind to those that don't cut straight to the word of God? Because I hold this so highly. This is the authoritative word of God. Why should I be kind to those people? Shouldn't I be fighting with fire? Isn't that a fight worth fighting for? But check this out. Look at God's heart through what he shared through Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 25 to 26, it says, correcting his opponents with gentleness, why? So that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Fighting with fire does not defeat the enemy, responding with kindness will, responding with grace, with compassion to those that are captive, that need to be separated, that need to be cut off from the enemy. And it is so hard not to think about Jesus' response on the cross to those that opposed him, to the people that put him there, the people that beat him, the ones that spit on him, that mocked him, that laughed at his face, how did Jesus respond to the opposition? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They are ensnared by the devil. They have been taken captive. And this is a prayer of unmatched kindness, of unmatched faith, Righteousness, peace, love, all things that we are to pursue. And so, church, how do we respond to opposition? Well, let me ask you this how did Jesus respond to opposition? How did he respond to all of us as sinners, those who have done things in opposition to God and his will? all of us that deserve the penalty of sin, which is eternity separated from God, but God responded by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't, and he died the death that we should have. And yet when we put our faith in him, when we turn from our sin, we can receive forgiveness. We can experience this grace from our Savior that humbled himself to the cross who defeated the grave, who is risen, and that is who we put our hope in today. And we are made clean. We can be cleansed from what is dishonorable because of his blood that was shed for us, because of the sacrifice of our loving Savior, and that is why we do our best to be approved workers, useful vessels, and kind servants that lead others to seeking Jesus. Amen, church? Amen, Amen. will you pray with me? As you bow your heads and as you close your eyes, will you take this time to come before the Lord? Maybe for you this moment, it's thinking about that specific sin, that that trash that you're letting collect in your hearts. Maybe for you, it's that person that you're thinking about that you had a childish argument with this past week. And after hearing about Jesus' response to us, Jesus' response to those who opposed him, and how can we respond back? Maybe for you, this is the first time hearing about what Jesus has done for us. And you want to commit your life to him. Or maybe for you, you've been feeling far, you've been feeling distant, and you wanna recommit. Or maybe for some of you today, you're just so thankful for this reminder of his grace. And if that's you today, will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us. God, we thank you for loving us. God, even though we were sinners, you died for us. God, even though we were in opposition to you, you sent your son to die for us. And so Lord, if this is our first time hearing that today, I pray that we would acknowledge that we are sinners, that we would believe in you. God, I believe in you, and I want to have a relationship with you. Or God, I want to recommit my life. Or God, I want to praise you because of who you are. Thank you for this reminder of your grace. God, thank you for this reminder of your love that has cleansed us and given us clean hearts. And so, Lord, be with us as we worship you today with our hearts and with our voices. We thank you, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.